Hello and welcome to our Conversations with Academy Award-nominated artists. We're coming to you from the uh, Warner Brothers lot in Burbank, California today. I'm Glenn Kaiser. I'm the director of the Dolby Institute. And this podcast is a collaboration of the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. I'm thrilled to be here uh, talking about A Quiet Place uh, with a couple guys that I've known for a long time. Ethan Vanderine, Eric Adol. Welcome to our our humble little podcast here. Thanks Thank so much, you. Glenn. It's a pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. Appreciate you guys making the time. So, you know, I, I, I went back and I watched and listened to the film again before uh, before coming over and talking to you guys. And I, I did a little research. I went in and, and watched a couple of interviews that you because you guys have been doing a lot of press on this film for a while. I've done a couple. Uh, I listened to a couple of interviews that you guys have done and and, uh, and read a couple of interviews and I, I just. It was so painful. Like I, I, a couple, I was stunned. A couple people have actually actually asked you guys. So this is basically a silent movie. So that did that make your jobs as sound editors easier? Yeah. No, we actually have had that 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 question. I'm like, oh my god, these people have no idea. So uh, look, so the Dolby Institute and Soundworks Collection podcast. There's a lot of students, but a lot of film professionals. So we have a pretty informed audience. So you know, uh, hopefully, I you know, we'll, we we'll have a little bit more in depth conversation. Great. Than, than, than that. <laughs> much appreciated. <laughs> um, I did want to, there's so much that I want to ask you guys about this film because um, as I was chatting with uh, Eric before we started, like, yeah, I mean, obviously sound is important to every movie and we all preach the gospel about why sound is important and it's a critical element of the storytelling. But this particular film, I mean, more so than pretty much any movie, I think in, in recent memory, like it's, it's just part of the storytelling it's it's an integral part of the of the of the story and i know that you guys got involved with the movie and got hired by john before he actually went and shot so can you tell a, bit, a little bit about how the project came to you and what that what were those conversations that you had with john krasinski who obviously was the co-writer and director and the star before he went off and shot the movie mm-hmm. well um uh, we got a phone call from uh, one of the producers, Andrew Form, who we had worked with before. Um, he had Andrew, an, he's from Platinum Dunes, so you guys Platinum have done Dunes, like so, the Transformers movies. Yeah, and it was, my, right. I think, Michael Bay who really introduced us uh, years ago. And uh, Andrew um, told Ethan and I, well, you know, I've got this script, and it's all about sound. <laughs> I know you hear that all the time. Yeah. The producers trying to get you to do the movie, but this time it's true. And we're like, well, well, maybe we'll sure. <laughs> let's send it over. We'll send take it a look over. At it. Yeah. We'll we'll have a read and see if that's true. And Ethan and I read the script and we're just blown away by how sound was baked into the script. Sound was a central character, and you know we had this conversation right after reading, and we're like, this is a dream. Yeah. And shortly after that. Um, we met with um, Andrew and his producing partner, Brad Fuller, and they introduced us to John Krasinski, who was at the time working on his draft of the script. And uh, So this was an existing script that he had kind of come on? Yeah, the script, kind of it, was, it was a, a script written by um, Beck and Woods um, that plat- came across the desk of Platinum Dunes mm. and they snatched it up. Um, they were excited about the whole concept. So and then John came in um, because at the time he was working with um, the same producers on the Jack Ryan series, mm. and they thought, "Huh, would you be interested in acting in this?" And 
John's kind of chewed on it for a while and said, well, if I can rewrite it and direct it, yes, I'll act in it. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's how they got him. So anyways, before um, he was still working on the script and uh, it was before they had hired a picture editor, before they had hired a music composer, um, that they, that John met with us. And um, before we could say anything, John was like, this is a sound designer's dream. Yeah. We're like... Oh my gosh, yeah. I think he gets it. Yeah. Um, it was pretty thrilling. And, uh, and right from the very beginning, uh, we just started talking scenes and concepts. And one of the things that really stood out to us in the script was um, the character Regan, the daughter. Because she's deaf because she has she's, cochlear implants. She's right? deaf. Yeah. And just imagine um, being in that situation in a world where sound and understanding sound is so critical and this character, you know, being so vulnerable, but um, also a very strong character. You know, yeah. she teaches her family sign language, right. which is one of their survival tricks. So, um, you know, we were just thrilled about all these ideas and soon learned that um, for John, it was um, non-negotiable to cast an actual deaf actress, uh, Millicent Simmons, right. to play Regan. Who's fantastic in that Who is amazing. She yeah. was kind of the guiding light of this whole film and, in fact, informed us, you know, what is what does it sound like to have a cochlear implant? Really? And huh. So um, just from the ground up, um, this film was just immersed in sound. And all through, through production, John was thinking about sound. In fact, he enforced a silence policy on set you know, really? set, sets are normally really Very loud. Yeah. yeah, walkies going, art departments banging, doing stuff. He had everybody be quiet. And and Millie actually taught the cast how to use sign language. Really? So it just became part of the entire film, the this the idea of sound. Yeah. It wasn't and, an afterthought. Well and quiet. And that's that's the thing that I think I you know, obviously we have an informed audience, but I, I would say to like people who don't know, like this is not an almost silent film there's there's an unbelievable amount of incredibly detailed work that goes into this film i mean one of the things i really like talking with with um with artists about and writers and directors and sound artists is the first 10 minutes of the movie which is kind of a critical you know um that you have so much responsibility in that first 10 minutes to kind of explain the rules of the of the of the world to the audience and to set you know the the cinematic language that you're going to use for your storytelling and it's interesting cuz when i was watching the film again i you know you've got that whole kind of pre-credit sequence before the title of the movie comes up with you know when they're in the in the um i guess the you know the abandoned store and kind of getting the medicine and and then of course the whole first attack with the, you know with the kid and that is almost exactly 10 minutes so I would love for you guys just to spend a couple of minutes talking to us about that first 10 minutes because everything that you had to establish is in there. You guys have the, the you know, you do the POV of Regan with her cochlear implants in that and you establish everything. It's just a fantastically constructed sequence for sound. So dive yeah. in. So, so that's, it's, that's actually one of the first scenes that we tackled. There was really two scenes that we started on, and they were the sort of priority for for John. Um, and one of them was this: there's a scene about midway through the film uh, in the that takes place in the cornfield where Millie's character is alone, and <clears throat> there's. Um, one of the alien creatures emerges out of the cornfield right. behind her. And, but she can't hear it, obviously. She, she, has she no can't idea. hear it. Um, 
and it can't see her because right. it's blind, even though it's 10 feet from her. Yeah. And then um, her cochlear implant starts to interfere with some kind of electrical field that the, that the alien has. Right. And so we start to set up this whole sort of key plot point about the interference of the of her cochlear implant when they're w- close with, by with right. the alien, and that was a sort of important nut to crack because obviously it's a key plot point for the film, and we really had to tell that that story with with sound. Yeah. Um, and so that was important for us to to figure out okay how is this going to work and then the other really important scene to figure out uh, as you've mentioned was was the opening right scene and so there it was really about okay how quiet can we make this world and how do we sort of establish the idea that everything that makes too much of a sound that stands out from its background is already gone, has already been killed. Uh, you know, right, because you kind of have a world where people are already gone. So what is, yeah, yeah exactly, what does a world without people sound like, right? And, uh, you know, one of the really interesting things about this movie is we're thrust right into the middle of this world. Without there's, any explanation. There's no yeah. explanation, there's no backstory, there's no montage of, you know, this inva- this invasion and explaining, yeah. you know, this situation. Which I love about it. We're yeah. just thrown right into the middle of it. And so really we have to start right from the beginning explaining uh, or helping to explain with sound what's what's going on. Right. And so it was about how how quiet can we make it and how do we start establishing relationships between different levels of sound. And the idea of sonic masking, you know, how um, that characters can only make as much sound as whatever ambient sound is behind them right. allows them to make to stay safe. Right, right. So, those, so when they're at the waterfall, <clears throat> they can make a lot of sound, but if they're out in the open, they have to be really, really quiet. Exactly. And so we're so in those first 10 minutes, we're really trying to set up some of these ground rules right. you know, that are going to sort of continue to take place for the next two hours or hour and a half, really. Yeah. And then, of course, um, you know, the, the alien creature gets introduced at the end. At the end of the at sequence. At the tail end of that sequence, At right, the yeah. tail end of the sequence. And that obviously is like, oh my God, this is like a crazy, dangerous situation these people are in. And but that was really brilliant because how many movies kill a child in the first ten minutes of the film? Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, but it really, it really just made you feel for like, okay, the stakes on this are really high. The stakes, Anything the stakes happen. don't get any higher. And so from that point on, you realize these people are literally fighting for their lives moment to moment. And I remember it's just so because the movie did such a good job of explaining those stakes. Like there's a there's a sequence shortly after that where the kids are playing the board game yeah. and um and Regan uh, knocks over the the lamp and it creates this loud crash and I remember being in the audience and people just gasped when that when that lamp knocks over and crashes because you know what that means, you yeah. know, and it's so <clears throat> so it's <clears throat> the thing that I found fascinating about it 
seeing that movie with an audience in a movie theater, with it being so quiet, you actually became more aware of the people around you, and it became like you could feel people holding their breath. It actually, yeah. the, the quietness of it made the audience more engaged. That's I, one of the things that um, I think, you know, a <clears throat> lot of filmmakers, uh, you know, and this is something we've been fighting against for a while, a lot of filmmakers, and I think audiences too, assume that if you have a lot of sound, if you've got, you know, bombastic music and, you know, tons of sound going on, um, it actually is engaging. Right. And in a weird way, it can actually do the inverse over time. It can push an audience away and kind of and your um, ears close make up, you, you zone, start, yeah. zone out and your ears close up and you get kind of tired. And But when you strip things away, um, when you start to find the negative space, um, you can start to pull the audience in and open up the ears and have people just hang on to every little moment and every little detail and really start to engage with the scenes. And that's what was one of the most wonderful things about um, A Quiet Place was we were given the license through yeah. the very story to make people lean in. And and what was kind of incredible, too, is that... Uh, you know, and we got all this feedback after the film came out that people were afraid to like breathe and that right. they were holding their breaths yeah. and they're hang on, hanging on to every moment and they're afraid to eat popcorn. And somebody else, I the, noticed that too when I was somebody else, like, like people stopped eating because yeah. it was sort of like they didn't want to make any sound to like give the give the characters in the film away. They'll right? become the hunted from yeah. other audience members if they make that sound. And in a funny way, that makes the audience an active participant yeah. in the what's actually happening on screen yeah. and. So it's thrilling to have that interactivity um, with an audience. And you mentioned the Monopoly scene. Um, we, a few people told us, oh my gosh, that lantern getting knocked over is one right. of the loudest sounds I've ever heard in a film. And it's not it's at not all. all. But, but it's, it's about contrast. But because it comes <clears throat> out of this stretch of quiet, you know, right. we've kind of now we're putting the audience into kind of a trance and cr creating a false sense of safety and so when that comes, it's that dynamic range. It's that contrast that makes it feel so jarring. I'm kind of curious about, like, was there experimentation? Did you guys go too far? Did you make it too quiet? How did you, how did you figure out well, what Well, the there was right... definitely a lot of experimentation. It was, it was interesting. It was an interesting process um, in the sense that, you know, with most films that we do, we'll do um, a certain number of test screenings. So you a, do a tip mix for a test screening. With an mm -hmm. audience and, you know, get get reactions so we can gauge how certain aspects uh, are working. And with this film, because of the fact the key visual effects of the, of the aliens weren't done mm -hmm. until very, very late in the process, we really weren't able to screen the movie in front of, in front of a, a test audience. It was tried once, and people actually started laughing at a key moment with the alien because it was actually John playing the alien dressed up in a green leotard. Right, yeah. And so, obviously, that, so that, that, that wasn't did, the reaction. That didn't work very well. <laughs> so, so, it was interesting because we couldn't screen the movie to gauge how well it was working for people who hadn't seen the movie. Mm -hmm. Really, you know... In all of our work, we're always sort of um, basing what we do on our own gut reactions, yeah. you know, and Eric and I are always bouncing ideas off of each other 
And we were saying, well, we think this is really working. This feels engaging. We're in the story. We're in the characters' heads. And we're in it. But are other people going to be able to stick with this? Because we did start to experiment with, you know, when we go into Millie's head, we go into her, uh, what John came to call her sonic envelope. Mm -hmm. And we have a sound... For when she, when we're in her head, in her sonic envelope, and she has her cochlear implant turned on, right? And we, which is not silent. It's not. It's not mm-hmm. silent, but it's it's very quiet. It's kind of a low rumble. Right. There's that, a there's a there's a lot of low frequency in it, but no articulation and sort of like no high end, right? So it's sort of like, yeah, yeah. right. It's and more we, of a feeling <clears throat> right. than a hearing, which yeah. is how she described it. Oh, so she actually told you guys. Well, she, she, her mom, who acts as her translator um, in the out, out in the world, described to John when they were shooting the movie um, what how she described her experience, and then John, in turn, described her, you know, that sure. to us. And so that's what we used. We used her actual experience um, to to base the sound design on. And for us, we kind of um, compared it to experiences that we've both had in anechoic chambers where, you know, which are completely quiet Mm -hmm. environments uh, where what happens is after maybe five, ten minutes, your ears start to open up to the point where what you hear is the sound of your own body internally. Right. You start to hear your blood pumping and you start to hear your nervous system. And so that's sort of um, what we used to base this, that, that part of the sound design on. And then there are three moments in the film where we're in, with, we're in that sonic envelope, and then she turns off the cochlear implant. Mm-hmm. And that's when we go, we take out all the sound. Right. We go completely silent. And we did experiment a lot with, okay, First of all, um, where do we go in and out of her sonic envelope? And and I would love to hear you talk a little bit about the transitions because you you establish that in that first ten minutes, but those transitions happen really fast. Like, and you're in and out of her experience, but because you established that convention in the first ten minutes, like the audience is ready for it when it happens. Yeah, exactly. And we needed to establish it in a scene where there was no music going, right. where you can hear that <clears throat> shift very clearly. There was some experimentation, like what if we ease into it? But um, we really fought for let's do it right on the cut to her, Hard cut, boom, right into her. So it's super, super clear that it's her. Pers- that that it's you're her you're now her in her. We're now in her yeah. shoes. Yeah. It was interesting because um, we, we mentioned, you know, the first two scenes that we started with were the were the opening 10 minutes and the scene in the cornfield. And it right. was this scene in the cornfield where we first experimented with with going straight into her sonic envelope. So we're really hearing what she hears. And we did that because it was so important to tell the story of what's going on with the interference between her cochlear implant mm-hmm. and and this the biology of this alien creature. And we're like, oh, this is going to be cool. This is going to be cool. Yeah. But we need to set it up right. early in the movie. We can't do it there for the first time. So then, right. so then, when we went back and started working on the first ten minutes, we looked for the first place where 
where can we set this up? Oh, so that actually wasn't part of the original design of that first 10 minutes was her audio POV. No. no. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that came out of the editorial process for you yeah. guys. Very much so. And it's, Very it, cool. it was an interesting process. Um, there were a lot of things that came out of the editorial process. Another thing we, we realized early on when we first started working on that, that scene in the cornfield was, you know, so we go into her point of view, and then we also go into the, the sonic point of view of the creature. Mm -hmm. um, because this, these creatures have hypersensitive hearing, and we wanted to get that point. Yeah. Uh, across and so there's a point where the ear opens up sort of fillets open and we zoom in and we do the same thing with the sound where we morph out of the ambient sounds right. of the cornfield right. and into the sort of hyper hyper real um perception that sonic perception that the that the creature has and we realized, you know what? We need more time to make this transition happen right, and right, to make it clear. Right. And John was was amazing because he's like, oh, yeah, I get what you're saying. He, like, um, got ILM on the phone immediately. <laughs> I need, said, more, I need, need more visual I need, effects. Yeah, we, yeah. Need to, we need to extend <clears throat> this shot, slow it down, yeah. and, and give more time to really make this happen. And you, you guys use that effect a couple of times. I'm thinking also about the sequence in the in the basement um, mm -hmm. um, with, um, with the Evelyn. Egg. With yeah. Evelyn, uh, you know, when she's at that just extraordinary sequence where she's having her contractions and the creatures yeah. down there, and and she sets the kitchen timer right. Yeah. And you get and it's just such a beautifully constructed sequence. The, the whole egg timer, you know, that's her sonic diversion. Right. And. And she, you know, the family has obviously pre-planned a lot of this, and she's searching for where's the egg timer right. as she's going through labor. And, um, yeah, and we established the ticking, the very quiet ticking of the egg timer going, and now it's the old Hitchcock ticking clock, yeah. you know, the ticking bomb. Um, and the creature comes down. It's using its echolocation to try it searching for her. And its ears then fillet open, similarly to the cornfield. And then we hear its hyper-acute um, uh, perception of the egg timer, which fills every speaker, and it's, right. you know, giant. And uh, in the film, we then cut back to the egg timer, nice and quiet again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> for that contrast, right. just before it rings. And originally, the scene wasn't really constructed that way. Huh. It was once we started playing with the sound... Um, Chris Tellefson, who's a picture editor um, working in New York, incredibly collaborative, sharp guy. Once he got the sound, that's when we started reorganizing it. You, got, you guys, you guys are making my heart sing. Like making the visual effects and the picture editorial change to the sound. Oh, that's how well, I mean, that's the alchemy. Right? Of <laughs> that's right. That's right. Sound. Yeah. And this really was a movie where you know, sound in many ways is the engine sort of yeah. driving the narrative forward. So it, it really needed to work. There were certain aspects of the film visually and pictorially that really couldn't be figured out until we had. Sure. You know, started on the sound design and 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 really um, started to find out what what do we need the picture to be doing. Yeah. So I know you you guys both primarily as sound designers and uh, and and effects guys. So how do you work together? What's how do you divide up? How, what's your what's your approach? Well, um, basically, it's a very kind of. Um, how would you describe it? Collaborative. It's very collaborative. You know, we're I think we're kind of our own hardest 
audiences. Do you guys push each other? We push each other harder than I think any director has ever put. We're, we're very hard to impress, let's put it that way. <laughs> so if Ethan can impress me with an idea, like, I'm, I love that. And if, and in and the, vice versa. And the inverse yeah. too, if I can impress Ethan with something, you know, we like to surprise ourselves and some, somehow like the alchemy between the two of us, um, I think we push each other um, harder than, than anyone else. Yeah. I think so. I mean, I, I think about, you know, um, my career before Eric and I teamed up, really the main sort of driver in my own work was, how do I surprise myself? Mm-hmm. Like that was what it was all about. I want to surprise myself every day. If I can, if I can surprise myself once, once a day, day and like take my <laughs> breath away, it's like, that's a good day. Yeah. And the really cool thing I found about working with Eric is he's, he's the exact same way. Right. So now I have like a partner to like, um, not only do I want to surprise myself, but I want to surprise him sure. and vice versa. So in a way it makes it like more than twice as good. It's like squared good. <laughs> That's awesome. But so, but on a practical basis, do you guys divvy up scenes or are you both working on the same thing? Oftentimes, kind of well, to... when we split up, we might be working with, you know, different editors and, right. you know, dealing with all the different parts of, you know, our departments. Um, when we're together, we'll, we'll dig into a scene. And and that's, you know, so it's kind of like this um, exhale, inhale kind of process, Mm, like mm -hmm. go out, you know, work with the team, come together now and focus together. Yeah. And to me, it's one of the most exciting times when we do come together. I'm like, oh, I got something. I I mean, actually, A a Quiet (laughs) Place was was a good example of that because, you know, it was um, it was sort of a condensed schedule. And we first started of it started it. There was a lot of pressure to figure out some of the conceptual ideas quickly sure. and really, really like get on track quickly. Because well, there's a lot of pressure. Is this going to work? Right. Is this going to work? Yeah. And what is this going to be? And how is this going to work? Because uh, right. there wasn't there wasn't a blueprint. It was like us sitting down together and like figuring it out. Yeah. And so um, it was a really great example of how like working together we can really dig in deep and just quickly sort of work through ideas and throw out ideas Mm -hmm. and get to what's working um really quickly did you guys ever was there anything like um like did you ever get pushback from the studio like it's too quiet like you guys have gone too far you know what we were just talking about that um you know, one of the benefits of working on a smaller film that might be kind of under the radar. <laughs> Nobody was paying attention to it. It's not a $200 million yeah, budget. Yeah. Um, the stakes aren't like as high. Sure. Um, I, I think in a way that wound up working really well for the film on a creative level. Um, we could take these kind of unheard of risks. And I mean, it, look, the script itself, there's almost no dialogue in it. Right. Like what <clears throat> hundred million dollar movie would have almost no dialogue? Sure. Like it's impossible. Would yeah. never happen. So, you know, just from the ground up, there were all these kind of like experimental risks that we could take. Yeah. And, and, uh, you know, the studio was supportive. Like they kind of were letting, you know, the, the producers and john kind of run with it yeah and but all of us were kind of like is this you know like ethan mentioned is this going to work you know how are people going to respond and the first screening 
of the film um, was at South by Southwest. Right. And we That's were, right. That's right. We were still mixing, and we just like, okay, here's where we're at. We'll send it over. And uh, John flew out to Austin for it. And it went through the roof. And it was like standing ovation. Yeah. And after that, you know, <clears throat> Jim Giannopoulos from Paramount, everyone's like, You guys know what you're don't doing. Break you're good. Yeah, <laughs> don't, don't break it. Yeah, yeah. That's great. That's great. Um, I have so many more questions for you guys. Like, I, is there a movie th- where the foley was more important? <laughs> <laughs> give a give a shout out to your foley team on this. So yeah, yeah we used um, we used foley one and Steve and, Bain and Peter Perso. Yeah, up there up yeah. in uh, Canada and yeah, I mean they they did just an amazing job. Like you said, the the foley in this movie is so because so how crucial. many movies do you actually you actually hear the foley so clearly? Right? Close up foot on right. sands, all the <laughs> compaction and it's what was wonderful too for you know um for foley to shine in this film was it could shine because it wasn't competing with no. the ton- you know <laughs> every sound we put in the film was very specific right and so um the little sounds became big sounds which is exquisite you know little sounds becoming big sounds i i would love to, for you guys to uh, talk just a little bit about the vocalizations of the main actors because you know obviously they're mm-hmm. they're expending a lot of energy not to make sounds but they do there, there are you know they're breathing, they're vocal. So did you did they come back and do ADR sessions? What were the production tracks that came to you guys? Like, tell us a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah, so um, they did. We did bring them back to to do that. You know, it was interesting because the first cut of the movie that Eric and I watched, um, well, it was it was very rough. But one of the one of the things we both both of us really keyed in on is even though these characters aren't really speaking. We really want to, yeah, we really want to be able to hear them. You know, they're breathing and when they are just mouthing words, just the the faintest sort of whisper to to help connect us with them. Because, you know, this is such an intimate movie. Um, It was really important to, to figure out ways to get close to the characters. And that was obviously an important tool to make that happen. So um, so we did, you know, start with the production tracks, but then there's obviously areas in the movie where we wanted a little more, you know, a little more whisper. And so we did bring the actors back and and shot ADR with them. And Those must have been interesting and fun ADR sessions. The right? whisper pass. The whisper <laughs> pass, yeah. And, but we got to say... And breathing, right? And breathing and just all, like <clears throat> Ethan said, all of those intimate things that just pull you in. and and Because at its core, this is a film about four characters that are a family right. that we want the we want to fall in love with and we want the audience to feel intimate with right. so right. those little delicate breaths and whispers are pretty critical for that and we should say that um Michael Borowski the production mixer did some extraordinary recording on <clears throat> set it's Im- usually impossible to capture detailed tiny little whispers and breaths but he well, he and, caught a ton and i yeah so. no matter how great he might be he's not gonna that he's your production tracks are not gonna be as quiet as what you ultimately needed, needed the film to yeah. be right yeah 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 so exactly so it was um bob jackson uh supervised um all of those adr sessions to capture all of that and i think that that was the fir- it was during those adr sessions that um millie you know our deaf actress right. playing regan um, it was the first time her mom had seen any of the film, you know, just and they put our, you know, rough stereo crash down of our sound work up on the ADR stage while they play the sure. scene. 
and um, John, we, Ethan and I were not there, but Bob and John Krasinski were. And John told us later that Millie's mom um, broke out crying. Really? She was, she had, she told John, um, thank you for letting me experience what my daughter experiences. Oh my gosh. We yeah. played through a sequence of her POVs. Ugh. Yeah, in fact, you know, so one of the. That's I think, the greatest compliment. Of course. Know, I, could imagine. Yeah. I think one of the most moving compliments that we've gotten on our work in this film was from Millie herself. We, we met her for the first time a few weeks ago at a, at a Q&A and she said to us you know for the first time in my life I feel like my experience of the world people understand and I was just like it brought both of us to tears because it was like so so genuine and um, yeah it was it was it was pretty special we don't get a lot of moments like that in our part of the business do we no <laughs> but, but the thing is with sound it's uh, we should it's an emotional because, thing because yeah. sound is such an emotional yeah. sense you know and it evolutionarily speaking it predates our ability to see it's right. so deep within us and you know the reptilian part of the brain fight or flight but also comfort and you know sound is you know it's invisible um, because it is so close to us. It's yeah. kind of like the, the, you know, you the finger can't point to itself, yeah. you know? Um, yeah. But um, it's because of that that sound is such a powerful tool in, in cinema. Yeah. And we try to approach every project, but especially A Quiet Place, as sound is half of the experience, Absolutely. if not more. Well, especially on this film, I would argue even more. Um, tell me a little bit about the sound design for the for the creatures. Um, we, we talked a little Those bit about it. Those were recorded on set. <laughs> that was all live, right? <laughs> was... But you, we, I mean, you talked a little bit about you know they would flay and open up, and then they hearing stuff. But there's there's there, and you talked about echolocation. <clears> but there <throat> also there's a lot of really interesting stuff going on. They're pinging and kind of knocking, and what what was the process of building that their their kind of palette? Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, um, it was uh, a very experimental process. Um, you know, the thing with with creature design is you can never just think of them as creatures. Right. You have to think of them as living, breathing um, animals that have behavior and different ranges of behavior. And, you know, you almost have to think of it almost like a nature documentary. Like, okay, let's reverse construct what <laughs> this is. You know, we're not just going to try to make them scary. Like, they need to have a soul. Yeah. We need to kind of dig into what their behavior is. So talking with um, John Krasinski about it, uh, he kind of described a number of different modes that these creatures have, um, and which is a spectrum of intensity. There's kind of like an idling mode, which is where they're just moving through the world, breathing and purring. There's kind of a searching mode, mm-hmm. which is where they're using echolocation. Um, because they're essentially blind, um, they use their hyper-acute hearing um, through echolocation to paint a sonic right. map of the their geography, mm-hmm. you know, the same way a bat would or <clears throat> a dolphin using sonar or whales. Um, so, so that's kind of like their searching and viewing mode. And then, of course, the, they have their more agitated, um, intense modes where they're either in pain or they're aggressive or in attack mode. So, 
So we had to kind of create palettes for all of these different modes. And um, one of the first things we started working on was the echolocation mode, because mm-hmm. to us that was one of the most interesting things sure. and also had the potential of creating the most tension in some of these quiet scenes. Like you mentioned the birthing scene where Emily's in going through labor mm-hmm. down in the basement and a creature is searching her out. Um, so we started We started just with the literal, like, okay, what if we take dolphin clicks and try to use those for echolocation? And we tried dolphins, bats, beluga whales. Um, everything felt a little bit too relatable in mm. a way. There was something... Not quite scary enough. We wanted something <laughs> a little more... Just to amp it up Alien, right, you know? Right, right. Um, something we hadn't really heard before because these are such weird, terrifying creatures. And um, it was actually um, one of our sound designers, Brandon Jones, who stumbled upon a prop that we have here in the shop. Um, it's a stun gun. And uh, we've recorded it a b- bunch of times for different movies and wound up Which, And those have those that one. have that very specific kind of click. Like, that, like, that, exactly. Yeah. They have a kind of clicking sound, which can turn into a buzz or a purr right. when you start conducting it against something. Right. And we wound up using grapes because they're a lot like skin. Huh. Um, there's the kind of little fleshy skin on it and then this wet interior that conducts the electricity. So we could kind of work the stun gun like an instrument uh-huh. and kind of do a vocal performance with it and uh, and then slow it down to get a little bit more richness in all of the clicks and then add reflections around it. And that became kind of the center of its uh, echolocation uh, sound. Yeah, And then just, you know, one interesting part to add about the that the whole sound design process of of these alien creatures was some of our early pass passes you know most of most of their sounds take place off screen in the movie and some of our early passes we had a lot more of of their sounds mm-hmm. their echolocation their vocalization all of it and we realized at a certain point you know we just need to strip it back. And we started pulling layers of bat off the screen, uh, pulling it out, and suddenly it started to gel and became much scarier. And it was a great sort of, um, you know, relearning the idea that sometimes less is more, and that was definitely the, the case. The old Jaws effect, you know. Well, and, and you guys, like this movie, <laughs> I feel like I could teach, you know, we could all teach a master class in that concept using this movie. Like you were, you were talking about, you know, the, the, the few times when, you know, Regan turns off her cochlear implant. Like some of the most terrifying stuff in the film is when she does that and the sound drops out, but you still see all this yeah. frenetic activity of the yeah. attack on yeah. the screen. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's terrifying. That's Would, actually because of the because of the lack of sound, right? Yeah. It's it's like pulling a rug out from under the audience. You have nothing supporting you. So in a weird right. way, there's this dichotomy. This um, uh, it's kind of like how to, for me, how like Scorsese uses happy music in a scene where something horrific is happening. Yeah, it's kind of like this weird counterpoint. Um, my favorite moment of the film is. Um, uh, towards the end of the film where uh, Regan turns off her cochlear implant because the feedback with the proximity of these sure. aliens is painful. She turns it off, and she's in the back of this truck right. with her brother. Right. And he looks over her shoulder and sees some sees something. And his, and his, his face, face just yeah. blossoms into the incredible performance, just pure terror. 
and Regan doesn't see what he's seeing. Right. She's just seeing his reaction to it. But in silence, that combination to me is we just don't get to do that kind of a thing in in movies. That's perfect. And, and this one just gave It's perfect gave for it you us. that one of your favorite moments is one of the moments when the sound completely goes yeah, off. Yeah. Because it's novel. It's, right. It's, right. It's right. it's it's very different and yeah. uh that, that was one of the gifts. Well, I film. feel that uh, you know we should probably give a little acknowledgement to Brandon Proctor as well for the. I mean, the, the mix oh on the mix on this yes. film is just amazing. It's and yeah. and, and honestly, um, you know, it wasn't just the mix because um, you know he came down very early. We were actually um, supposed to start uh, the effects pre-dubs, and so he came down to do that with us. And we realized, you know, what we really need to be doing instead of pre-dubbing the effects is we need to be, like, temp mixing the whole movie. Just mix the movie, right? We just mm-hmm. need to start mixing the movie. Um, so we, we actually started doing that. And it was in that process that, you know, for instance, what I was just mentioning about the creature design being uh, there being much too, too much sound for them we realized that with with brandon and he was you know a big part of helping to clean that out and strip that back so you know it wasn't you know uh wasn't strictly mixing he actually was helping you know create with the the Mm -hmm. the design so it was a very collaborative um you know effort in 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 that sense so yeah brandon was was huge in terms of shaping the whole track you were talking about the um, this concept that they can only make as much sound as the environment that they're in, so that they right. have to stay under that to stay safe. So you've got that beautiful sequence between John Krasinski and and his son uh, when they're at the waterfall and they can finally like let loose and make sound and actually talk to each other. Yeah. And there's that beautiful moment um, when you know the son asks him, "Why didn't you let you know? Why didn't you let Regan come?" In? It's mm-hmm. just it's. It, I think by that by the point the the audience gets there, they're so ready yeah. to like. I need to have some kind of catharsis here, and yeah. the sequence is just perfectly constructed for that. But talk a little bit about it sonically and how that whole because of course we were talking about the uh, not to cross talk movies that are nominated, but we were having this conversation with the Black Panther guys yesterday. Like a waterfall is just nothing but a white noise generator. <laughs> so how do you how do you engage that with that and make it interesting? Yeah. Um... Well, it's like you mentioned, it's interesting on a number of levels when when this scene hits. It's interesting on an emotional level. You know, we've been challenging the audience for quite a stretch now with no dialogue. Right. And this is the first scene where people actually talk. So there is something just like a release Mm -hmm. about that. Um, We have also come out of a stretch of silence um, culminating with the setup of the nail on uh, the steps. When she steps on the nail, yeah. And, well, this is before she steps on oh, it. Oh, right, but you this set is, it up, This right? is yeah. when the laundry, she pulls the bag laundry bag kind yeah. of pulls it up, so now it's in a much more dangerous position. And we do that just with the simple sound of burlap bag and the nail little creak, and then silence. And then, boom, we go to the waterfall. Right. And it was funny. We got, right after the movie came out, um, we did a lecture at USC for Leonard Malton's class. And he said, that waterfall is the loudest waterfall I've heard in any movie. And again, like, no, it's not. It's just because of the contrast. But because it's coming out of this very quiet scene, it's the contrast, the dynamics that makes it feel so powerful. Um, So 
so in that way, it's kind of a catharsis for the audience too. Like, okay, now we can, it's eat safe, safe to eat popcorn <laughs> now, right? I can breathe a little bit, like, Great. you know, and, um, but it works perfectly into the logic of the film, which, you know, basically we're kind of describing the physics of sound here, mm-hmm. the concept of sonic masking. You know, a loud sound will mask a quieter well, sound. Well, because John Krasinski actually explains it to his son while they're there, because the son's still terrified, exactly. right? And John has yeah. to explain to him, like, no, we're safe because yeah. it's so loud here. And yeah. that sets up the way the family <clears throat> saves the mother in, in the birth scene. Right. Through a, By creating. a bigger, creating a bigger sound that right. will mask her sound. So, um yeah, no, it's just it's. This was one- really intricately constructed for all these rules, right? It's yeah. fascinating, and yeah. I just love like that scene where we're cutting in and out, and you hear different perspectives sure. within it, and then we cut back out, and the kid screams, which should be the loudest sound in the scene, but because we're back and behind the waterfall, you barely hear it. But you Br- do- Brendan Proctor just got it right. But there. You, but you do hear it, and it's yeah. actually really emotional because you yeah. know the kid is just having this huge cathartic moment, yeah. and you can barely hear it cut through the sound of the waterfall. It's really just an elegant, beautiful sequence. Yeah, well, it's kudos for to Brandon Proctor for finding all of those delicate balances. That was also a tricky scene because you're shooting next to a waterfall. Sure. So. There's some of the production is like, I don't know how Michael Borowski got some of those lines in there. We didn't need to use ADR, but then one word we'd pop into ADR just oh, really? for clarity yeah. and then pop back. And Brandon matched it all. Oh, gorgeously. man, what a nightmare. You'd never know. Wow. I would have I just presumed that you guys had to loop those whole sequences. Obviously, you know, setting the world, you know, kind of making this space for the, these characters to live in. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about Dolby Atmos and how you guys used it? Like, was Did you guys know from the beginning that this was going to be an Atmos mix? Were you native Atmos the whole time through? Or well, no, it... we actually weren't native Atmos. And, and so we did an Atmos pass uh, after the 7-1 mix. And, um, you know, usually we are native. And uh, maybe, you know, it was interesting in, in, in the sense, like having the, the first few passes through the film to really be able to think, okay, when we do the Atmos, how are we going to use it? And it's interesting in this film because, you know, in many ways, it's such a delicate film. And I think, you know, one of my favorite, and I think, I know Eric's talked about this moment too, as one of his favorite Atmos moments is, you know, such a quiet, delicate moment, which, you know, normally we think of Atmos as like, how do we make this immersive and put sound all around Fly us? stuff around, right, yeah. And this is an example of sort of, which really, um, it's a metaphor for how sound is used in the whole film, which is like, how can we use subtlety and delicacy um, and quiet to really engage the audience and and pull the audience into the into the story mm-hmm. and make them part of it. And so there's a moment in the film where Emily is setting up, you know, the the nursery for the for her unborn child and she's hanging hanging a mobile over over the crib they've set up in this right. safe room. And Brandon Proctor put the slightest bit of movement from this mobile which of course has to be made from little padded animals like felt animals so that it doesn't make animals sound so right, that yeah. it doesn't make sound but he was able to put just the the subtlest sort of movement sounds from these felt animals up 
in the overhead speakers in the ceiling so you feel like you You're are there. there you know with her you're in the scene and i think it's a really sort of beautiful example of how we can use atmos in a subtle way to really help immerse the audience in into the story yeah i think like the the most obvious like cool thing with atmos is oh we can take the creatures footsteps and breaths and echolocation and track them in a perfect sphere around the room and from overhead to mm-hmm. around. And, you know, we've got wonderful long shots, which right. kind of track. So you're able to, like, really realistically use Atmos to move these off-screen creature sounds around you. But to me, the coolest stuff is some of those subtle details. In a way, those um, are the shining moments for me of Atmos, the little details, like the crows and a in their murder overhead and mm-hmm. the leaves and in, in wind and the the little subtle details sometimes almost read even more strongly in Atmos and uh, yeah I encourage people to go check it out in the home Atmos version <laughs> thank you for the plug <laughs> well I think you know one of the things that, that people don't necessarily talk much about when they talk about Atmos is the fact that the spec requires full frequency and individually powered speakers throughout the array. And so that, yeah. that that lets you put really specific, subtle stuff anywhere in the space. And you guys did it just so massively in this film. It's just, it was just fantastic. The, you know, the only thing that I would add, we sort of, you touched on, on it at the beginning uh, of the conversation, just, you know, how, you know, when the movie first came out, many reviews spoke of it as a silent film. Um, really confusing the sparse amount of dialogue in the film with silence. Um, so I find that like such an interesting reaction and so sort of telling about how how the general public thinks about sound or just doesn't in understand, general or right. just doesn't just doesn't understand. But then the other sort of interesting thing that follows that is the reaction that we got from so many people. Um, after after sitting through the movie, um, hearing reports of like I walked out into the street and suddenly I was hearing all these things that I've never really noticed before um, because their ears had opened up and they had sort of um, engaged in sort of active listening, which I feel like is something that we as sound artists do every day. Right. That's what our lives are about you know, engaged, active listening. And so I feel like in some ways, you know, for the first time in our careers, we've really been able to bring the joy that we have of of being able to actively listen to the world around us when we're out recording or when we're in the studio working with sounds, just intently listen to something very specifically. And I feel like this movie has allowed us to bring that experience to a wider audience and and help people to to really be able to perceive in a new way. And like that's one of the most gratifying results of this movie for us. Fantastic. Well, you guys, thank you so much for taking the time. 
to talk to us today and kind of like unpack some of this work that is so amazing on A Quiet Place. Uh, you know, Ethan Vanderine, Eric Adol, congratulations on your Oscar nomination uh, on this movie. I was so tickled when when I, I read the news that morning that you guys had gotten this nomination because it's so well deserved for this film. That's such a showcase for for sound design. So, congratulations and good luck in a few weeks. Thank you Thanks so much. much. All right, this is Glenn Kaiser uh, signing off from Warner Brothers for the Dolby Institute and the Soundworks Collection. <laughs>